Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. If you want to help support us in this work, please visit our website. If anything, just check it out. But if you feel inclined to give, you can do so by visiting thesacredcommons.com. Click on Give. Every single cent has an immediate impact and helps us continue to do this. I think I want to start today off with a joke, and it's a joke that I love that John Luke has been telling every day for the past week, week and a half. Mm -hmm. And do you know which one I'm going to say? I do not. John Luke is our seven-year-old, and he came up to me. He's had some new ones lately. He had a good one this week. Why does a duck have feathers? I know he said it, but I can't remember. To cover its butt quack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> butt quack joke. <laughs> Best that jokes. has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, but <laughs> just make you laugh. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to another Lectionary Musings podcast of the Sacred Commons. I'm Diana. I'm JP. This is the sixth Sunday after Epiphany, and the Old Testament texts were found in the prophet Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. And in that text, the prophet contrasts those who trust in the Lord with those who trust in mere humans. And so there's this sort of critique, and the psalm is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walketh. I, I always have to say that in the King James Version. Because that's what we memorized it in sixth grade at PCS. I was going to say that's how I learned it in Sunday school. Oh, but we had a song. You did? Mm-hmm. Sing it. <laughs> sing I'm it. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> then don't mention it <laughs> if you're like... not going to treat us. <sighs> I can't remember the tune. But we had to sing it. I remember that. Well, I was just going to say that it's always blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in This is so corny. Are we like, it's like synchronized. on his law does he meditate day and night. It's like synchronized Bible verses, like it's an Olympic sport. Oh, it was competition for sure. Yeah, tell me about it. The Bi- what was it called? Bible drill team? These are things that you have to be raised evangelical to appreciate. Well, maybe you can go a little bit into the mainline churches for that, but I think that's a um, it's an evangelical appreciation that we have. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again, you see this emphasis on the human, the divine, the blessedness of those who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Jeremiah says, you know, He critiques and contrasts those who trust in the Lord with um, those who trust in mere humans. And then by the time we read Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians of the relationship between Christ's resurrection and our hope. And in this new reality, he encourages them to not let go of the physical, the resurrection of the dead, in body is real, and that this is going to be actualized physically. And his insistence upon the importance of our faith as being both 
spiritual and physical. He wants to make sure that the church in Corinth knows that the end is not immaterial. The end is material in the resurrection. And that as much as our faith has a spiritual side to it, it's also a, there's also a physicality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's leaning into the gospel text now. I feel like I'm turning into a ready read um, person. And Would you like how, me to read that for you? <laughs> that's just how we did the first one, and then it just kind of took off. I'll read it if you want me to, or you can read it. Okay, I'll read it. Okay. Luke six seventeen through 26. Jesus came down with the 12 apostles and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, (laughs) were cursed. And those with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him. For power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Mm. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to just say that in my heart when I hear these texts, I shudder a little bit. Yeah, why couldn't he have just left it at the blesseds? Or why couldn't Luke have added in spirit and made us all f- yeah, feel good yeah. like Matthew? Or at least said something after the woes. Or maybe put the woes first and then the blesseds after. <laughs> so let's read a, a really cool excerpt from Martin L. Smith. He said this, Luke's version of the Beatitudes, given by Jesus on a level place, have a strong claim to be closer to the original than Matthew's, more familiar, Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, the poor whom Jesus congratulates are the exploited and the indigent. Matthew, however, has, and I like this phrase, has massaged poverty into a spiritual category. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And you hear this if you grow up in the Mm -hmm. evangelical world. Every time anyone wants to push back at the uh, idea that, that Jesus has a preferential option for the poor, they always quote, in spirit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, don't get involved in social justice. It's poor in spirit. In spirit. I had a guy come up and in, in, in my face, throw that at me and say, he said, let me tell you something, buddy. He said, poor in spirit. And if you want to be poor, why don't you move to Africa? It, it, uh, Sigh. <laughs> Um, Christians I, are exhausting. Exhausting. I love That's... that. Diana was. We were at a meeting this past week, and Diana said we were going around in a circle asking questions. Diana's question was, "Why are Christians so exhausting?" 
and everyone resonated with that. I feel like that needs to be on a t-shirt. Why are they so exhausting? I was really, I was asking for advice on how to deal with how do you how do you deal <laughs> because with because they're so exhausting. Sorry, guys. So Luke is absolutely referencing the poor, the poor, and he doesn't massage it into a spiritual category like Matthew. This made it impossible. Uh, this is Martinell Smith. He goes on to say this made it impossible for Matthew to present the other side of Jesus's pronouncement: "Woe to you who are rich." Woe to you who are full. Woe to you who are laughing now. Matthew could hardly spiritualize this. Woe to you who are rich in spirit. That just wouldn't work. So Matthew dropped the woes. This is why we are in debt to Luke for faithfully presenting the other side of Jesus's Beatitudes. End quote. I think we should title this podcast In Spirit or maybe not in spirit, because I feel like for evangelicals, in spirit is their escape hatch for everything mm-hmm. incarnational that the Bible, the, the Gospels, the teachings of Jesus call us to. They want to spiritualize everything, everything, and it really is an exit to being the hands and feet mm-hmm. of Jesus on earth. And I think I said in the sermon, um, evangelicals would would change the language if they could to thy kingdom come, thy will be done in spirit (laughs) as it is in heaven, because we are so good at spiritualizing everything Uh, to get really corny. I remember the old timers in the church would say so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a very accurate assessment when the truth is we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. Incarnation. Incarnation. Go ahead, say it. Incarnation, because... It's your favorite word. Yes. Jesus became a physical actualization. The word became flesh. flesh. There we go. Mm -hmm. And what are we doing if the word does not become... I mean, aren't we to reenact that or to embody that and to have that kind of presence, that faithful presence on earth? Mm Mm-hmm. What would life look like if we embodied Jesus and we became his hands and feet on earth now today? Would it look like just thoughts and prayers? Mm. Yeah. I don't think it would. I I think it would go beyond that. Mm -hmm. I would like to say something, though. Mm -hmm. I do think there needs to be a balance. Um, I think there can be a tendency to go so far to the end of being incarnational to the point of we are working towards social justice and we're doing things to help the poor and we're out there with the people that are hurting, the sick, everyone doing things to help them physically. But if I think there's a point where if we're not careful we're just kind of reinventing like the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. So I think there has there has to be that. Plus, I, I think Jesus as an example, he would sit down and talk to somebody who nobody else would sit down and talk to and have a conversation. But then at the end, I think there would be some sort of resolve as to something spiritual going on in their life. Mm-hmm. So I think there still has to be some kind of connection point to point them to the love of God. Mm-hmm. 
and to point them to the reason why we're doing this or we're um, being a part of this is because we're a community dedicated to the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just reinventing the wheel of, right? what is it, like Greenpeace or, you know, those organizations that have, you know, I mean, it's great. But there there still has to be a distinction, I think. Yeah, what is the distinction of the church? Yeah, and I think there's lots of people who love doing that sort of thing, but they don't feel the need to be part of a Christian community mm-hmm. at all. And I think that that's really, I think, um, out of balance. Mm-hmm. What is the chief end of man but to worship and glorify God? Mm-hmm. Who was it? Oh, man, I forget who I was reading. Oh... It might have been Simon Chan. I can't remember. But the question was asked, uh, does the church exist for the world or does the world exist for the church? Basically saying, what's the telos? What What is the ultimate end? What's the goal of this? Mm-hmm. And if we say that the church exists for the world, in other words, if this is just to improve and create social programs that allow human flourishing to take place, then what distinction does the church really have? I mean, we could, like you said, Greenpeace. Right. Then why not join the Peace Corps? Why not uh, go into all these other, why reinvent the wheel? Mm -hmm. There's other programs, social programs that are doing these things. I believe the distinction of the church is that we call people in to join in this worshipful, faithful community, this shining alternative community that somehow embodies the vision and the will of God, the effective range of God's will, in a way that both glorifies the Father and loves neighbor as self. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it would be connected to the idea of, um, when we were listening to the podcast this week of, Dr. Green speaking in Beacon, and he mentions the analogy of breathing. Mm -hmm. Like if we are the body of Christ and we breathe in on Sunday and we breathe out Mm -hmm. Monday through Saturday, and then we have to come back and breathe in again so that we can breathe out again. Mm -hmm. And it's something, if we are the body, that's something we do together. It's a communal thing. For the life of the world, Mm -hmm. we, we come to the table we're filled with life. Mm-hmm. We are sent back out into the world to share that life. Right. We come back in to be filled with life. Mm-hmm. We're sent back out yeah. to share that life. Yeah. There's that breathing, mm-hmm. the beating heart of the church at the table. So it's not a it's not a this or, it's a that and. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's good. But back to being the hands and feet, I do feel like that has been missing um, from so many circles of the church, where it's more about grasping and affirming the right set of propositions. And once you have those propositions solidified in your mind and you got your God thoughts, you're good to go. Mm -hmm. And so many people are hungry now for practice, for formation, for living out the faith and Having something to do. Yeah. I think you should call this podcast Sick and Tired of Thoughts and Prayers. (laughs) Too provocative. I like it. Mm -hmm. 
I think this would be a good bridge. Paul was addressing a group of people who, th- who were really being influenced by Gnosticism and this idea that the material is not good and that the ultimate aim is to escape this material world and to ascend with the embers into this spiritual reality, which is the reality uh, that is good and everything was spiritual. And I, I think that if we're not careful, that sort of Gnostic influence can still creep in into the church and we spiritualize everything. I mentioned the song, I'll Fly Away, and how uh, growing up as a kid, you know, we'd have these Southern gospel groups come in (laughs) and you just, you didn't have church unless someone sang, I'll Fly Away. And it was almost like you had to cover it. And the lyrics... I can hear like the the high tenor singing now. Right. (laughs) Dum, 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 song, glad morning, when this... It's all about escapism. Jesus becomes this Uber driver. This <laughs> and the congregation is like, yes, <laughs> this, get me out of here. Yeah, this vehicle to heaven. I mean, and I should say, we still hear this in every arena mm-hmm. of Christian influence that we travel into. We heard it this week, mm-hmm. right? Like, it doesn't matter where you're at. You're going to hear someone say, oh, I'll tell you what, this world, oof, it's going to hell in a handbasket and... uh I'm just ready to leave it, you know. It's this sort of get me out of here. Yeah. SOS. Which is, I don't know, it's funny to me that people would say that because I really think in the known history of humankind, we as Americans today have it off so good comparatively. And that's, I don't know. It's just kind of funny to me that like, oh, this world. We live in our comfortable houses with yeah, everything we need at our fingertips. Amazon, you have it in two days. So, <laughs> yeah. Third, what, what it? It's like first a, world yeah. problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We live in the most abundant, um, affluent culture in the history of the the planet. I think, mm-hmm. in terms of the common man, the things that we have access to. Uh, and yet at the same time, people find this sort of constant desire to leave this place. They don't associate this world as their home. And they see Jesus as this vehicle that's there to get us out of here. And N.T. Wright would probably be someone who we could read here that would help clarify this. And he said a couple of things. This is from... N.T. Wright's work on Jesus and Tomorrow's World, I think it was a speech that he gave, he addresses a couple of issues. He says, first of all, in the current culture, Jesus is familiar, assumed. Jesus is the default. Therefore, he's ignored and mostly misunderstood. And then he said, especially by Christians. And so when you have 70% of Americans Claiming Christ, that number's dropped. But when you have 70% of Americans claiming Christ, then there's a good probability that there's going to be a high level of misunderstanding and ignorance towards Christ. And this is what N.T. goes on to say. He said, if all you need to know 
is that Jesus was born of a virgin, died on a cross for our sins, and rose again. Well, then what was the purpose of all the other stuff? What was the ministry of Jesus about? The hope of far too many Christians has been shrunken into simply a hope for a disembodied immortality with God after we die. Whereas the promises of God in the New Testament are for new heavens and a new earth, new bodies. The last scene in the Bible, I like this part, Mm. is not save souls going up to heaven. It's the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. It's not a disembodied reality, but an embodied reality. Yeah, and the kingdom of God starts now. It's here. It's at hand. It's present. It's among you. And we pray. Dallas Willard, The Divine Conspiracy. Read read it. Well, well, well. (laughs) And we pray, you know, every week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I appreciate all of those who like how Matthew massaged blessed are the poor into a spiritual category. But Luke does not do that. Luke Mm -hmm. makes sure that we know the other side of this beatitude is woe to you who are rich. And the reason why is because Luke is is sharing the kingdom and the kingdom is upside down. The kingdom is we as Christians, we push back at the status quo and we push back at the modern understanding that there is no blessing or blessedness to the poor, that the rich are blessed. We challenge that idea. We challenge the very fundamentals of what people view as the good life and where the kingdom is. And we look at the poor and we say, blessed are the poor. Now, the reason why we say that, I don't think it's because we look at poverty as a virtue and say that if you're poor, you're automatically a virtuous person. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. But we can look at the teachings of Jesus and say how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, and I think we also have a hard time identifying ourselves as the rich ones and as the... Mm-hmm. We don't want to identify with the woes. Yeah, we don't want to. But we probably are, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways we need to. Mm-hmm. And it's a good time for self-reflection and say, you know, how am I being a steward of what God has blessed me with and how... How am I using the resources that I have to help the poor? And yep. what am I doing on a daily basis? How, am I being wasteful? Um, do I really need all this? You mm. know, those sorts of questions. And those are the very questions that lead you by the power of the Spirit to somehow become the hands and feet mm-hmm. of Jesus on earth, the body of Christ on earth. I'm just going to put in a little commercial here for black t-shirts. I feel like um, in the minimalism side of things oh i see where you're going like, with that. okay yeah you, if you have the, or for the ladies out there a capsule wardrobe is, i think is what it's called when you have like is that a marie kondo thing uh it might be did i say her name right i think so yeah i want to read sorry i was no, just no. i was just saying about minimalism i, I think that that's a, if you want something practical in your life i think that's somewhere to start with just the idea of minimalism okay I want to read uh, this more from Martin L. Smith. I want to read this quote from him about the woes and the blessings and the curses that we find in Luke. He says, God's passion to redress the plight of the poor. And I think that's important. 
Number one, that God is passionate about redressing the plight of the poor. This is why there's good news for the poor, and this is why the poor can still find a blessedness, because God is passionate about redressing the plight of the poor, lifting up the lowly, leveling the playing field. He says God's passion to redress the plight of the poor necessarily involves, here's the other side, judgment on those who ruthless, on those who ruthlessly Try one more time. Ruthlessly. Are you laughing at It's me? because you have to say those before ruthlessly. First of all, ruthlessly <laughs> is a really hard word to say, let alone put it in a podcast. And then you have to say before that. Let me try it one more time. All right. On those who ruthlessly corner the earth's resources, which are God's gifts for the support of all. Instead, though, he says, when you have people who use this for their own power and their own unjust wealth... There's woes to those people. And now the question becomes, are we those people? Mm-hmm. Is the woe on us? Maybe that should be the title of the podcast. The woes on us. I don't know why I went like Southern with that. Your eyes got real big when you said it. You went Southern with it. The woes on us. <laughs> you turned into Boss Hog from the Dukes of Hazard. The woes on us. Them dukes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I was thinking like Rango, but I only ever watch kids' movies. So. Right. This is true. So God is absolutely concerned about the poor. There's a preferential option for the poor. There are woes to those who will hoard their resources for their own power, their own security. And there is no security. Life is a vapor, there's no security. You can have all the money in the world, and things can happen. Yep. I hate to go all dark with it. As we wind this up, Matthew's in spirit cannot be the universal westernized escape hatch to any form of embodiment. We must practice the good news that is good news for the poor. We must become practitioners of the faith, not just have orthodoxy in our brains, but have an orthopraxis that leads us out into the world. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, let's make sure that we recognize that his will is for the poor to be lifted up Mm -hmm. and for those who have a lot to share. And I do think that the Spirit is always working to level out injustice and to bring about God's reign on earth. Yeah. Closing thoughts would be, how can we be hands and feet? How can we be tangible witnesses of the love of Jesus to the poor, to the hungry, What can we do? What can we change? Hmm. So Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, define it, Diana. The kingdom of God is... Give us the Dallas It's uh, God's rule and reign. N.T. Wright chimes in and he says this, What does it look like if you believe that the authority of Jesus has something to say about actual life in political 
public affairs, in public discourse, in public decisions. What does this mean to sit here and say that Jesus is Lord? How does that play out? How would this inform our prayers and our work and our voice and our tone? These are urgent questions. And it won't do to say, oh, those are just political issues. We don't get involved in the organization of society. No, we have something quite different, N.T. says. We want the rule, the agency, the lordship, the government, the reign, the policies, the teachings, the principles, the ethics, the kingdom of God to impact, to come and reshape the earth to look more like heaven. There it is. Mm -hmm. We must ask then, what was the earthly ministry of Jesus all about? Mm -hmm. If not to show us a new way of being human, if not to show us a way of living out a faithful presence into the world. And we can't become Christian vampires. That's another Dallas Willard uh, saying. Mm -hmm. People who want the blood of Christ, but not his character. Yeah. People who want to be saved by Jesus, but not be his hands and feet on earth. Mm -hmm. So we can't reduce Jesus down into a vehicle that gets us into heaven. But we have to really desire and open your life up to the, the Holy Spirit so that you can become the hands and feet of Jesus. And I'll just finish with that statue that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, my friend Eric told me about the statue. I forget what church it was at. I think it was the one that his dad was in for a while. Forgive us, Eric, if we're yeah. botching this story. But when you left and you walked through the doors of the church and you went outside, there's a statue of Jesus and he has no hands and he has no feet. And the reason for that is because it was a reminder that you are the hands and feet of Jesus. Did we read the quote from St. Teresa? Not yet. Let's finish with that. I feel like it kind of encapsulates everything that we were talking about. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things pass. God does not change. Patience achieves everything. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. And I think that part resonates with Jeremiah, mm -hmm. and it resonates with the psalm. She goes on to say a pretty well-known part of the prayer. Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. You are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ must look out onto the world. Amen. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless his people. Father, we, we ask that we could be your hands and feet and that your will would be done on earth so that this planet may look a little bit more like heaven day after day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. See you guys. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. <laughs>